If I'm young and I want to invest in myself, go find some resources online about entrepreneurship. Figure out what you like doing and maybe give it a shot. Like use some money to go buy something and resell it, right? Make a product, find an audience, like just give it a shot. Because if you fail, you'll figure out what business is like. If you succeed, you might just find your career. Stack my money up like Lego. Bet me when I say so. Pull up in the spotlight. What's up, world? It's your boy, Ross Mack, man, and this is Money Music Culture. And you already know I'm sitting here with my co-host, my dog, my brother, B. Cope. I love you, brother, but enough with you, man, because we got an amazing special guest, man, Mr. Sherwin Gandhi. I'm talking about former Wall Street, and then he started his own tech company, recently built it, and just exited at a $2 billion valuation. Let me say that again. That's 2B. That's a B, a B, a B. Two What's billion. better than one billion? Two billion. You know what the Jay Z lyrics say, but guess what, man? Without further ado, man, we about to get in here and kick it off with my dog Sherwin, man. Hopefully, you can see if we can get your boy alone. What's up, world? It's your boy Brandon Copeland, aka Professor Copeland. I'm here with my dog, as always, my right hand man. Two hundred grand. No, you know what? You you have been adding a lot more value. Five hundred grand over here, man. <laughs> Ross Mack. How you doing, brother? I'm doing phenomenal. Ooh. You already know we are on the West Coast. Weather's good. Mm. I got my shirt. You know what I mean? Got Sometimes I gotta, you know, unbutton it, let the chest hair get a little breathing. Ooh, it's up. But don't worry about me, man. We sitting here with a very special guest, man. Yes, you right. You right. Wifey, she might whoop your ass for having that that last button down. You better put, <laughs> button that back up. But no, nah, man. More importantly, uh, we got Sherwin Gandhi here. I truly, truly appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us, have this conversation. Welcome to Money Music Culture. Can you introduce yourself to our audience? What makes you tick? What yeah. makes Sherwin Sherwin? Guys, thanks for having me here. It's an honor. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And yeah, we're in Cali. We're in Newport Beach. I got I got a little... The pastels. <laughs> I'm waiting for the sunset. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be a good evening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, look, first of all, uh, the event today was great. We, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we met talking about credit markets. So mm -hmm. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Grew up a big Steelers fan. Mm. Um, Awkward night. Patriots weren't necessarily, you know, my favorite. But performance, I mean, it's incredible, Amen. right? Yeah, I think there's much respect to the team yeah. over, over the years. I grew up a Ravens fan, even though, obviously, I played with them, Patriots, all that stuff. But, like, them Steeler-Ravens battles. Oh, wow. Like there was real tension there was. out there on those fields, you know. But uh, a ton. I went to a Steelers game once when the Browns the Browns were visiting. Mm -hmm. I was pretty young. Um, I'd heard stories about it getting a little rowdy. I just remember the guy in front of us was wearing, uh, you know, he's wearing like a dog mask. Mm -hmm. People were just throwing peanuts, <laughs> pouring a little beer on this poor guy. He's like yeah. the only Browns fan like, in the state. Just trying to watch the game. Yeah, you got to watch this from home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like Steelers fans get rowdy. Couple fights. Eagles fans. Yeah. And um, Raiders. Well, back, probably back when they were in Oakland. Now they're in Vegas, so it's probably yeah. not as. Yeah. yeah, there's certain stadiums that, uh, and obviously we're gonna get back into the intro, but there's certain stadiums that uh, I would not let wifey go to on an away game. You know, just because oh, wow. it was like, mm, it's just not it, on the field. 
I'm gonna be wondering is somebody disrespecting my wife for wearing a different color jersey? But you she know, will be sitting yeah. in there yeah. like the wife section, the so family away section. away games you know? we don't get that. Home oh, games really? we get the friends and family oh. section, right? Okay, we have our own that. section. Away games we usually typically you got to pay for your own tickets at away games, and usually you just up in the nosebleeds or wherever. Right. So I've had friends who came to games. I remember in Detroit, um, I had a buddy who came out to us play our first playoff game in Seattle. And he said, he goes to every Detroit Lions game. He said, I literally don't even feel comfortable going out after this. I usually go out after every game. He was in the bathroom at the wow. game, and a couple people tried to jump him. You know, wow. and I'm like, wow. obviously, you know, it might be a little different for the the, the, the female side, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but still, certain. I want to take like, a quick mm-hmm. break um, and just talk to the camera. Copeland just said that he had a buddy that went to his first playoff game. That's his first and only playoff game. I don't think Copeland has ever. In fact, I'm still largely confused that you ever That's even crazy. had a playoff game. That's but crazy. back to regular schedule programming. That's no crazy. way did you have a second playoff game. You're right about that. You're right about that. But this is the year. This is the year. Trust the process is what the, you know, what the, 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 the oh bummy franchises say. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, sir, we obviously already off topic. We're talking football. Well, it's never off topic here. But, um, you know, kind of. Again, let's get back to your story. It's hard not to talk football coming from Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, grew up in Pittsburgh. Uh, my folks moved to the to that area of the country back in the '60s, and you know we just grew up like with the Pirates and the Penguins and, and, and all that. So that was I was you know grew up in Pittsburgh. I was really interested in uh, what the rest of the country looked like. So after graduating from high school. Um, went to college in upstate New York, in Albany, then moved to Manhattan uh, with my first job, and was there about for about 15 years. Worked in uh, at a startup, worked at a few investment banks, um, at a hedge fund, and uh, then during the pandemic, I got married, had two kids uh, during that time. And then we moved to Austin during the pandemic and uh, founded a company. You know, while I was in New York, um, that's uh, raised a few rounds of capital. It's a global fintech, and uh, we provide credit payments and uh, other financial services to other startups all around the world. So it was really cool because it was, I went to, my dad's an engineer, I studied computer science and finance, worked in the credit markets, mm-hmm. and then this company is kind of like, it, it all kind of came together along with That's entrepreneurship. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's epic. Wow. We're going to keep this great conversation going, but before we do, make sure you go follow Money Music Culture so that you never miss an episode and go visit us at life101.io. So yeah, we got, for one, you just put your amazing career in like one minute. So we're going <laughs> to dissect that because you have a crazy dope career. Um, and I want to just go in because, right, a lot of off-camera magic we've been having, a lot of conversations. But like, you started out in finance, right? We both got credit backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I was in Morgan Stanley, high-yield desk, did a lot of left spend. You were in the structured products, right? But talk about your timing. You were there... From 07, 08, 09. Like, you were there in a credit crisis. Like, how was that? It was, I, so I didn't know what was mm-hmm. going on. I just graduated from college, and I'm like, great. Let me learn, you know, what is it like to work at a bank. Little did I know, and, and this was 2004. Mm-hmm. So I graduated from school in 2004, started at J.P. Morgan in credit risk management, mm-hmm. which what I didn't know back then is kind of instrumental to capital markets and just the way the world works, right? We're seeing the Federal Reserve right now set monetary policy, ECB setting monetary policy. 
that stuff drives so many different things throughout the world. And I didn't know any of that back then. But what, you know, 04, 05, 06, highly liquid environments. Um, in 2007, we start seeing credit markets kind of falling apart. And, you you know, working in credit, you kind of know there's these like 180 page credit agreements and ventures with all these downside mm. protections. Mm. That's all credit covenants. folks think about. Covenants. Did they trip the covenants? <laughs> Concentration <laughs> limits. Man. And, you know, back then for me, it was just an Excel model mm. and running some Monte Carlo simulations, talking to S&P and Fitch and Moody's. But it actually started playing out. And mm. that's that was a really interesting time in capital markets because you started seeing a contagion effect, like something that happened in Las Vegas when somebody was looking appraising a house mm. is now 18 months bringing down, you know, a large percentage of someone's portfolio that runs a massive hedge fund. Mm -hmm. But it takes time. And and that, that was one of the things I learned is these things take time. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. We we watch and like we read the financial publications every day and like the market gyrates, options gyrate, bonds gyrate, but the actual long-term effects don't really kick in for a while. That was that was something like, it was a really cool learning process back then. Uh, while I was at JP Morgan, um, Bear Stearns happened. I remember Lehman happening. I was on the trading floor. After doing structured credit, I went to trade equity derivatives. So mm -hmm. it was option the options book in the financial space, like volatilities were blown out. Mm -hmm. There were rumors about a broker dealer going under. Mm -hmm. Really, you know, uh, you know, that TARP was being structured. Mm -hmm. I think what it really was is like a kind of a, an education um, in how stuff works. Mm -hmm. TARP, Troubled Asset Relief Program? Yeah. Wow. We, he's, <laughs> by the way, he's saying a lot of crazy dope stuff, but we're going to try to... We'll get you a library. Yeah, we're going we'll we to make sure you understand, we'll but we're not going to interrupt this flow because <laughs> what this man has done, right, like being able to, to, to survive that type of environment, I felt as though it helped propel you into the businessman you are today. And you definitely, you, you talked about it over the course of one minute, but like you just exited a extremely, you know, um, successful startup business in the FinTech world, right? So we gonna, let's talk about from the start and then we'll get there. But like going through, oh wait, let me know the, the qualities that you learned from there that you feel as though now help propel you to the businessman you are today and what, that you'll keep moving forward. Yeah, I think, you know, I think working at a big company, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's in consulting or law or business, you just learn a lot of best practices. Mm -hmm. And what I learned back then was that um, working at a big company may not necessarily be what I want to do because maybe values are different, interests are different, but you learn those like really good skill sets about how to summarize information, mm -hmm. how to work with clients, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, so that was that was a really good kind of like, uh, you know, dive into learning really uh, just business skills that you wouldn't necessarily pick up mm -hmm. at, uh, let's say, if I had just gotten started my own business. Like, yeah. there's yeah. some there's some stuff that you you kind of fast track on, and mm -hmm. then something you don't. But mm -hmm. that was that was a good experience for me because after 2009, I realized you know I do want to learn more about startups and kind of get into entrepreneurship. And my brother and I had worked on some side hustles like throughout the years and and so I still kind of had an itch to to mm -hmm. like you know not just have a stable job mm -hmm. um and, and by the way there were no stable jobs in finance back then probably still are <laughs> was it uh I'm, I'm curious to know was it a culture shock 
right? Like mm-hmm. you, when you when you start learning anything for the first time, right? Like what were some of the things that you were introduced to? Like you're talking about the best practices, but like also, I mean, I've interned on Wall Street. You both have worked on Wall Street. There's not as many people that look like us mm-hmm. on our trading desk or on our floors and things like that, right? So like, can you talk to me about the culture shock, um, if there was one for you, and then if so, what were some of the things you did to really ingrain yourself into the culture and be, you know, be your, be you, be Sherwin? It's such a good question, Brandon. So when I was, um, I was a junior in college, and uh, this, so I wanted to get an internship so I could finally get a full time job. Mm-hmm. So Goldman Sachs, they're taking resumes. Um, I, we're not at a target school, but they showed up, and um, I remember dropping my resume, and they they reached out, and they're like, "We want to meet you." So I called my brother. I'm like, "Hey, have you heard of this company called Goldman Sachs?" Wow. Right, and he's like, "Yeah, I think they're a bank." I'm like, "Okay, like I'll you know, okay, good. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go talk to them." Move money around. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, you know, I spoke to them. The conversation went well. They invited me to New York for uh, back then. They used to do this thing where they'd give you an exploding offer as an intern. Mm. So they'd bring you into the bank. They'd be like, "Hey, we love you. Here's the offer. Accept it now, or there's no job. No negotiation. No nothing." I, I think that became outlawed at some point. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So I visited the floor, and I remember, um, and I'm being very candid. I remember going. It was a technology floor, and it was credit technology. So I remember all the offices in the perimeter, and, and there weren't, it just wasn't diverse. Mm-hmm. It was primarily male and primarily white. Um, and I was thinking, okay, you know, what, what, does, what does this mean? And, and when you looked at kind of the folks that were um, in the software development, like, they were all brown. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, honestly, that, that did put me off. Um, and I was like, I'm not sure if I want a career in technology because if I if that's kind of the pathway, then maybe I need to think about something else in finance. So I actually didn't take the offer from Goldman. I got an exploding offer um, while wow. I was at the bank. One of the first people I got a drink to that. One of the first people <laughs> to turn down Goldman. Wow. That's like. That's like a, a, somebody saying, yeah, I'm good, Lakers. I don't want to play for y'all. Yeah. Like, Goldman Sachs is the Lakers yeah. of, arguably, right, of, of, of Wall Street. Not this year, Lakers. Oh, it's the Lakers, Lakers. Yeah, no, Lakers, Lakers. That's crazy, bro. Wow. A little older Lakers. Right, right, right. <laughs> now, admittedly, um, I was too naive. Like, again, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I, no one in my family had any background in finance. I think had I taken that offer, that would have been, to your point, that would have been a ticket to do a lot of interesting things in New York. Didn't have to be technology. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that back then. So I think um, what I did realize is that because, you know, some of the high schools and middle schools that that children go to, the guidance, the guidance counselors, the teachers, I think they can have a profound impact on early trajectory, right? Because if I had just known a little bit, I probably wouldn't have done that. I probably would have taken the offer because mm-hmm. it's an incredible institution. And but it worked out well. Cultures yeah. change. <laughs> yeah, that it worked out well. Yeah. Well, I think right. that's, the, that's the thing, too, and I'll let you, you go, but it's like, you know, we've had so many people come on the platform and talk about how and why they decided to chase their dreams as opposed to um, jumping into the system, so to speak, mm-hmm. or doing what everyone else is doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, and obviously, I mean, I guess you don't, 
potentially get to the platform unless it works out well. But maybe we need to start interviewing some different people. But I think there's also power in that because as a young person, it's like there's so much pressure telling you what you should do and how you should do it and all those things. And you see the risk takers, right? You see some of the people who really believe in themselves and jump off the cliff and go for their dreams. A lot of times it ends up working out. And I'm sure there's a lot of times where it doesn't mm-hmm. as well, too. But if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and put the work in and hopefully use some of our guests as um, and some of the lessons you all are sharing as a blueprint, it can show you not just, hey, I said no and look at me now, right? But it's like, hey, I said yeah. no, but look how I sacrificed to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Mm-hmm. And that is why I was comfortable saying no, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. When you think of people that bet on themselves, right? You got a lot of great success stories. Then you got the Dennis Schroeder stories. Mm-hmm. Dennis Schroeder was a guy who like turned down like a crazy deal in the NBA, and uh, he'll never get that deal again. Mm-hmm. He he had some bad years. Sorry, Dennis, we still love you, but uh, <clears throat> but you adamantly at that point, right? You say you were naive, but it ended up working better because now I want to talk about your journey to leaving Wall Street, right? You segue from Wall Street to the hedge fund, but I really want to know your journey where you built a brand new baby, right? Your yeah. your startup in the fintech world. Because I like you overcame so much adversity, right? Had a family that, that couldn't teach you nothing about finance. I was the same way. In fact, I was the first black guy on my desk. And that's crazy. That's fucking 2012. Mm-hmm. But you yourself, right, were able to take everything that you went through able to use your credit background while surviving, you know, the, the hiring and firing rounds of 2008 credit crisis mm. to then saying, I'm going to start a startup. Like, what was yeah. that like? That was a uh, great point. So, so 2004 to seven, I was, I was a JP Morgan on credit desk. Um, and it, it was kind of turbulent. Like I didn't really know, you didn't know what was happening in the world. Actually, it was actually yeah. kind of scary. Yeah. Um, and then I spent a couple more years at the bank, and uh, finally, you know, I, I was introduced to one of the founders of StubHub, mm-hmm. and he was uh, he was he was working. He had already raised money, but he had started his second startup, and then part of it was um, part of it was his hedge fund. And so, I was like, "This is great! Mm-hmm. I've I've met you know my network has expanded because of J.P. Morgan. Um, I you know hedge fund managers I know, traditional asset managers I know, like credit traders." This is a great way for me to kind of mix entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. um, my my finance background that I've now picked up, and then also work at a startup and understand just how that world works. And and what was so great about it is you know being in banking, being on the trading floor. I I didn't know anything about venture capital. I knew about private equity to a certain extent because they were using leverage and you know things like that, and then like publicly traded. But that was kind of my first foray into VC. Um, and that's where I realized, and that's where I saw that you know VC as an asset class is is incredibly powerful when you're looking to build a high growth company. Mm. You have an idea and you want to go kill it, um, and you've got this vision. And and kind of what you alluded to earlier is like you've got this drive to mm. just go do it, mm. but it, it takes time yeah. because you've got this vision. And this is like for most things in life, you mm-hmm. just you want to do something. You got to commit to it, and it's going to be a grind until you start seeing some sort of results. Um, that that transition for me was was transformational because it was like going from you know working at um, a prestigious investment bank and having you know the pathway that I had. It was it was an amazing opportunity, 
um, to kind of leaving that network and that persona in New York to like do this startup thing. Yeah. Right. Also leaving kind of a safety net, so to speak, right? Where you know you're going to get what you get, right? Eat what yeah. you kill, bonus season is going to be great. Yeah. But then that startup world, yeah. you got to be completely different. You have to be totally different. So yeah. what what was yeah. the yeah. early days of starting a company like? Early days of starting, I mean, that was, um, it's, it's kind of, you have this idea. You have this vision of what it could be. Mm-hmm. And you're out there trying to convince people uh, to work with you. You know, a lot of folks kind of jump into, it's really hard to get a check from a VC. It's really hard to get a check from a VC. And like, you do you know, 200 meetings, fill your funnel, and then you might get one, as soon as you get one yes, mm-hmm. you're gonna get more yeses. There's a whole process before that even happens mm-hmm. where if you have an idea, um, most, unless you're a second time founder, most people aren't just gonna write you a check, right? The due diligence, in my opinion, for a first time founder is, as an investor is, well, have you made progress? Great idea. What have you done? So what I realized in the early days was like, you know, and I see this with a lot of founders, is they have to go work with a vendor and convince the vendor to work with them mm-hmm. or get a, you know, someone, whether it's software development or regulatory or working with a family, you know, medical office, whatever your idea is, get some traction, build the MVP and get a customer. And then you get to raise money. Wow, and so the early days were like, I have this idea. How do I convince someone to work with me? Mm. Right, and that's I think a lot of founders face that same conundrum, right? So that that was that was kind of a it was really um, it's inspirational, but it's super hard because you haven't even gotten to the point about raising money. When you took the leap and left the safety net, as you mentioned, I'm wondering were there people in your family, or I'm not sure were you married at the time or not, but like were there people who were kind of just like whoa, whoa, Sherman, whoa, whoa. whoa." Sherman, chill, chill. You know, like, but like, was that reality for you at the time? And then if so, how did you curb what other people's expectations for you were versus what you actually dreamed about building? So um, I was, so I I went to boarding school in South, I grew up in the United States. My parents uh, thought they were moving back in 96. I was in uh, ninth grade. They sent me to India to a great boarding school. Um, Last week, I was visiting my parents in Florida, and I was opening up letters from my dad because back then, like we, c- oh, I couldn't wow. afford to call him, mm-hmm. so wow. we were writing letters back to one. Back, you know, that was that's like back in cool. the day, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> email was like kind that's, of a thing. I'm glad you kept those. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. It was really cool. I found this letter where he says, "Sherwin, it seems like computers are going to be the next big thing." You should think about studying finance because your future might be related to computers and finance. That's crazy. Ops. Shout out to fucking blew my mind. It's ninety eight, <laughs> ninety six or ninety. It was it was, oh, it was insane. It was bro. early ninety seven. He wrote. Good day to go. By the way. <laughs> Shout yep. out to Bob. I. He is. Seriously. That's crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy, and the reason I bring that up is. Uh, you know, we talked about this, so a lot of people talked about it today, was that your your network and the people around you, like, we all have a couple people that are close to us, and they're kind of our, like, board, advisory board. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad have always been proponents of taking risk. And, and it's because they trust, like, they trust the decisions that I might make, but they're like, all right, if you think that's right, you should do it. Mm. 
you know, leaving, I remember I had it, my, my JP Morgan role uh, as an intern was in Delaware, and I was adamant about wanting to be, like, in the action. So I told JP Morgan, I was like, I, I got to be in New York, you know, and they, they helped me do, get a full-time job in New York because I wanted that. And so when I left, um, I, so I was in, I was married when I left um, to, so I was at a hedge fund for about seven years with this startup, and my wife was having her first child. And I'm like, I want to spend time with our child. I want to help raise our kid, right? So I'm going to quit. Wow. <laughs> In New York. Yeah. It's the same New York where the average rent right now is five grand. So this is New York yeah. we're talking about. We were in a tiny 600 square foot apartment in midtown Manhattan. And my wife was, she was the one working at that time. I was like, I'll figure it out. But trust, trust me. Oh, yeah, yeah, trust me. <laughs> to her credit, she's, and we, we talked about this, right? Like, you get that support from, uh, you know, wh whether it's your husband or your wife, whoever, the, the, you know, is, is like trying to do something, they have to, like, if they support you, you can get the space yeah. to, to do something. And I think oh, she's, she's been instrumental in, in kind of allowing me to um, get the space that I need while I was, like, working on these ideas and things like that. Shout um, out to all our wives. Because yeah. They not only hold the hold that. the crib yeah. down, yeah, drink to the wives, yeah, but they also much love give us the strength better. to be better men, better providers, better husbands, etc. So shout out to the wives, yeah, yeah. What they do, we can never do, mm. no, mm -mm. ever in life. Yeah, I got to drink on that. I know yeah. when the kids, <laughs> <laughs> when the kids are feeling down, like I, it, they love both of us, but they will definitely go to her first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna take this clip and post it. I'm gonna this will get me out of the doghouse at any time. This is like my like my my my, my wild card. Just pull this. Oh, babe, by the way, I'm gonna send this. I'm gonna send you phrase for forever. You send me the link because I got it. <laughs> I need it. So right now. Right, Wall Street hedge fund early startup, and you get the itch to start your own startup. Now you are currently just had a successful exit, so now you chilling. Uh, what would you say is next? Right, what what do you think, or better yet, what is the next sector you believe is going to be an area that you think will have a boom cycle that it'd be a lot of money to be made there. Great question. So, uh, the startup um, that I recently exited is called Jeeves. Okay. And it's it's a it's a it's a company that provides financial products, like as we talked about earlier, to other startups. They have thousands of customers. Um, and the reason it's been growing so quickly is, and this is like you know there are a lot of there are actually a lot of financial services providers in the VC space, early stage companies that have been growing very very quickly. It's I mean fintech right now is one of the hotter Super hot. Yeah. I, I should say four months ago. <laughs> right. Today it's a, <laughs> it's a little different. A little different yeah. <laughs> but the reason is that um, financial services in general can benefit from data, mm -hmm. and um, banks, you know, they are highly regulated entities. They they move a little slower, and they don't necessarily have the um, luxury of kind of throwing stuff against the wall mm. to see what sticks. Yeah. Yeah. But startups can do that. Mm. And and what, you know, why that space has been growing so much is I think that uh, venture capital as an asset class has, has been growing significantly over the past couple of years and more startups are coming about. Mm. So to your point earlier, Brandon, 
younger folks having the ability to take a risk, yeah. I think now is better than any time in history mm. to be a young entrepreneur because yeah. you have access to funding. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that in all different parts of the world, like Latin America has been growing significantly, Europe. A lot of these companies are still coming to the United States to raise venture capital because this is where all the VCs are. Right. You know, mm -hmm. all the institutional capital is sitting here. Um, but as that as that continues to happen, I think there's just going to be more innovation and more startups. And what really gets me excited is how can I help these founders uh, grow their businesses? Mm. Like starting a company is super. It's super tough. But then like managing your board, hiring, mm. raising more money, optics, marketing. You're building a brand. You you know all those things are really hard to Back do. In. Yeah. App stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's just fun to like, you know, it's fun to talk to founders and like mm -hmm. help them uh, help them solve product problems and like whatever the problems they have. So I'm um I've been doing quite a bit of that right now and um, you know, spending time with family. But like I, I don't know, there's there's something there. I think I think what's really exciting is just that the VC space and entrepreneurship is growing significantly. And we're giving a lot of young people a lot of opportunity to um to start building businesses. I'm hoping a lot of that more of that money starts to go to the traditionally non-target audiences. Oh yeah. You know, you don't have to go to Stanford. You don't have to be male. You don't have to be tall. Um, because shout there's... out to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting here with two people taller than me. Shout out to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting time. I don't know. You know, it's it's interesting to see it evolve, yeah. especially through this credit environment. Can you? talk about because obviously one of the things we always try to talk or or touch on on this platform is uh you know people want to talk about money right and you talked about some of the characteristics uh that you gain through surviving and thriving uh after the 08 financial crisis right and then right now we're in a a, a bit of a crisis of our own can you talk about what you may have learned or what similarities you see between both times and do you get to obviously you're in a different yeah. place financially today than you were in 08 but like what are some of the characteristics or things that you took from 08 that you know have you potentially optimistic about today or have you seen more red flags and saying okay I w I've seen this before because I was 18 he was 17 in 08 and I always said to myself man if I lived in 08 I would have bought up all the, and I just insert, <laughs> yeah. I just fill in any blank, whether it was real estate, whether it was yeah. stocks. So like, that's a great question. I'm curious to hear your view. It's a good question, and, and you're right. I think I think you answered the question, which is that, um, generally speaking, I think if you're, you know, a lot of folks have kind of a bedrock portfolio of an ETF, like a index fund or something like that. If if that's what you're invested in, staying the course and sustain invested is it's the best thing to do. Like we've seen. People figure it out. The, the banks get together. The governments get together. Like they figure it out, yeah, and then things compound over time. It, it takes time. But the other thing is, it, it does take time. Like these things, you know, folks have a tendency to be worried, rightfully so. Which is like, hey, what's CNBC saying? Mm. What's Bloomberg saying today? What's the Journal saying today? Should I take some action? And and the thing is, this stuff takes like two years to play out sometimes. 
um, the COVID crash, where I think the S&P was down like well over 30%, mm -hmm. was really, it was like interesting because it just, it was like a two-month thing. And then, the craziest yeah, rally right? we've ever seen. <laughs> yep. Insane. Yeah. And then hopefully nobody got stopped out or like, you know, panicked out of it. But I did learn that, which is that the, um, I, I don't think what we're going through now is as bad as what happened in 2008, where we were looking at a potential systemic, like it was bad. Yeah. You know, we need for the crypto market. <laughs> well, <laughs> which is highly leveraged. <laughs> yeah. Right. And what's exciting about that is that that's actually that is definitely going to get better as a result of yes, what's happening now, right? right? You gotta shake out some bad players to to get some get real stable money and better leaders in. Yeah, that, seems, that world. Seems that way. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm curious what you guys think. I, I think that um you know, we and we talked about this earlier, like interest rates are at all-time lows when you look at it across 40-some years back to the yeah. Volcker period. You know, inflation is high, but things are, you know, there, there's just a ton, uh, and that's just the public marketable securities things that we're seeing, but right. private equity and venture capital, people are building businesses. There's a lot of interesting things going on. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I've learned over time is that these are some of the best opportunities in our lifetime, right? Absolutely. And so that was one of the things I was trying to preach to other athletes during the pandemic is like, listen, like there are things going on that are out of our control and, and terrible things that we can't necessarily uh, con control or, or we're not proud of or happy about or are not positive things. However, the things that we can control, and that's something we think about as football players, right? The things that I can control, which are the making strong investment decisions around me, this is the time to activate. This is the time to learn. This is the time to connect with people. And this is the time to figure out where I'm going to park my money for the next X amount of time frame to get the returns and build wealth mm -hmm. and change my family's life forever. So yes, it is very scary times. Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone's in the, the best financial situation. However, you know, there are still opportunities out here that you have to make sure that you can see and capitalize on yep. when you have that opportunity, have that chance. So I got a question on this same realm, right? When we're thinking about uh, in bear markets, you know, it's obviously some of the better times to buy, mm -hmm. right? Um, but we all got one thing in common and that's we like trading options. So. I got a question. Do you like trading leaps or are you a week-to-week -week guy? I think with leaps, what the so you don't get dividends, right? Okay. Um, but if you're what I did for a while was I used to love Google. Mm -hmm. And I would buy a deep in the money leap and roll it every 18 months. They didn't pay dividends, so it was fine. Um, but I also I think trading weeklies is really fun. I I think it just takes a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but they're really fun to trade. I, have you, it sounds like you've traded both. Well, yeah. Uh, however, as we think about like crazy undervalued, and you said something earlier, and you was like, you know, uh, FinTech has been the hottest sector, except for over the past four months, right? And you right. start thinking about certain FinTech companies that are down 80, 70%. Yeah. And it's like, it's now the time to get a leap. Right. And obviously, you know, disclaimer, we can never, um, you know, time the market perfectly. But is that something that you think about? Sir? That's an interesting question. If you look at one of those stocks that's trading 80 percent down, 
he has to tell me my bet is if you go and try and buy a leaf, they're probably going to price it pretty expensive. Mm. It might like the the stock itself might start looking like an option, mm. like a call option. Relative to well, shit, VIX is in the 30s right now, so yeah, right. Uh, arguably, most of the options are pretty expensive. Just given, granted, where where uh, VIX is, wall is. Yeah, VIX and Goldman saying VIX is probably going to cool off a bit, but I bet those like you know those companies like Upstart and um, uh, other publicly traded companies that are down 80 percent. If you're making a market, you're running the book on those stocks. Mm. Um, you might. Price, you know, you have to hedge your, you have to hedge your book, and like to borrow that stock and and keep it long and hedge your your call options. I mean, that that stuff gets expensive. I haven't looked at it. I, I mean, if the volatility was expensive enough, I might just be inclined to go along the stock itself. Yeah. If I were interested in it. That's legit. That's legit. Well, we probably got maybe one more question. Yeah. Um, and it's been a fucking pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Oh, being with us, but um, we often uh. Like, we do a lot of giving back. Uh, he has an amazing football camp, and I love his football camp um, because he has so much diversity in the sense of he'll have athletes come. Because, right, everybody, every kid that comes there, they think they're going to go to the pros. I remember going to basketball <laughs> camps, right? Um, but not only does he have other football players come, but he have other uh, professionals. So whether it's doctors, lawyers, financiers, um, the entire gamut. And one of the things we do is like, yo, 99% of y'all not going to make it to the pros, so y'all should be really talking to these guys, right? He doesn't say it in that way, but it's, life is all about exposure, mm-hmm. right? And I was talking to a school in a um, in Inglewood of Chicago, so it's pretty bad neighborhood. Great school, though. They get a 99% graduation rate, mm-hmm. high school. Um, but one of the kids, I was sitting there talking about long-term investing, uh, and I'm giving them a blueprint, right? I'm like, yo, I can show you for sure how to make a million dollars. It's just going to take you to your 30 Right, but it's cool though, right? $250, $300 every week. I mean, I'm sorry, every month into the SP 500, you look back, compounded interest, you'll be rich. Yes, one kid rose his hand, said, Yeah, man, that all sounds good, bro, but how do I make money now? <laughs> right, and, and, and it stuck with me because you know, he comes from an environment where some people don't have the luxury to even think about life 30 years from now, mm-hmm. right? And at the end of the day, we all will, we all could attest, like, yo. The best form of investing is long-term discipline. You, yourself, 30 years from now, is going to be so happy you did that. But to a young kid who's just coming out, black black and brown kid, what are you saying right now is the first place they should put their money? Oof. Where should they put their money? I'm To make the, the best return. I'm a little biased on this. Mm-hmm. I would invest in themselves. Mm. And I know, I know this That's is a fucking good answer. Love it. It's a, it's kind of an ambiguous, like that pie in the sky fucking answer. Mm-hmm. But you know what? There are so many free. First of all, there's a lot of free resources available online yeah. about figuring out how to like, how do you just start a business, right? Mm-hmm. If you do that, uh, um, okay. Back when I was looking for a job, this is like many years ago. I picked up this book called, I think it's called What Color Is Your Parachute. Mm. It's a, it's a classic, and. There's this exercise you do to figure out, hey, what kind of job would you enjoy doing, right? We've all heard it. If you love your job, it may not feel like a job. Mm-hmm. So you, you basically answer these questions. It's like, what do my friends come to me for advice for? What are my hobbies? And there might have been one other question. And you basically like find out what the intersection is, and mm-hmm. that's, that's the stuff you love. Right. 
if I'm young um, and, and, and I want to invest in myself, I might go, you know, go find some resources online about entrepreneurship, figure out what you like doing and maybe give it a shot. Like use some money to go buy something and resell it or, or make something, right? Make a product, find an audience, and like just give it a shot. Because if you fail, you'll figure out what business is like. If you succeed, you might just find your career. You yeah. know, you might find your calling. I like that. Wow. And, it's, and it's worth it. You're investing in yourself. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Say no more. Investing in yourself. I think, wow. hey, listen, I think that that's one of the uh, most underappreciated investments of all time. What right? I've And uh, I'm so glad that you highlighted that. But Sherwin, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Man. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun, guys. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Culture. Boom. Another one. Money, music, culture. We'll see y'all next time. Peace.